good. Well, with that, we're going to kick back again to the Gospel of Luke. It's been a little while. We started uh, doing this back in the fall, uh, but we stopped during Advent, and now it's time for us to dive back in. And so uh, we are back in the fifth chapter, verses 12 through 26 today. So I invite you to hear these words. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day, Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. And sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we thank you again for this gospel of Luke, for what we have learned thus far and what we trust that you will continue to teach us today and in the days to come. And I pray This morning, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So if you were here on Christmas Eve, we looked at the Christmas story according to the Gospel of John. And what I wanted to focus on there primarily was verse 4. Verse 4 says, what has come into being in him was life and the life was the light of all people. Now, at the five o'clock service, I really had to buzz through this because we didn't have much time. At the seven and nine o'clock even, I didn't have as much time as I like. And so I'm basically just going to preach that sermon again today. 
No, but I am, gonna, I am going to read one section of that sermon to you. Here's what I said. I said in verse 4, John says that it is in Jesus we find life, or in the Greek, the word zoe. Zoe, as Dale Bruner points out, is something that John frequently brings up when it comes to Jesus, but it means more than just existence. It means meaningful, purposeful life. Life that is rich and deep and has a sense of being a part of something larger than oneself. We live in a community and world where so many are desperate for life that has meaning and purpose and a depth that so often seems to be sorely missing. So many of us are searching for something to rescue us from the drudgery of our world, from the tedium of our jobs, from the daily grind of changing diapers and driving kids this way and that, from the endless newsreels of war and economic volatility and political bickering, from the malaise of middle age or young age or old age that makes us think, is this really all there is? And the temptation is to believe that in order to remedy this, to find real zoe, we need to find the exciting things to rest us from this malaise. And so we book the next exotic vacation. We seek the next job change. We consider the next spouse. I didn't say that on Christmas Eve. I decided not the right time. We buy the nicer car or the larger home, but we discover what we discover is that while wealth may help us buy a more comfortable life, it cannot cannot buy us a Zoe life. When we grow weary of trying the next new exciting things, we find ourselves simply escaping the boredom by binging on Netflix or alcohol or video games or whatever else may come our way. But in the midst of all of these attempts, John has the audacity to suggest that actually the place in which you will find Zoe, the place in which you will find real, meaningful, purposeful life is not by escaping the life you are in right now, but in discovering where Jesus, who often looks so ordinary, is in your ordinary life right now. I wanted to start that way this morning Because in many ways, that was one of the lessons it felt to me that we were beginning to learn when it comes to the Gospel of Luke. One of the things that we began to see in Luke is this reality that God so often decides decides to work not with the extraordinary people of the world, but with the ordinary people of the world. He works with young women and old men and old women and young men. He works with fishermen and those who are out shepherding the fields, not through only the extraordinary at all, but also through very ordinary people in very ordinary places and oftentimes not doing extraordinary things, but just going about their lives. Sometimes they're just casting nets. Sometimes they're just watching sleep some, or watching sheep. Sometimes they're just sleeping. And remember John the Baptist, remember the story that we talked about then where where John builds up this great kind of kingdom, all of these radical changes. Do you remember what he tells them to do? He simply says, okay, well, start sharing your clothes and your food with those who are in need. Stop extorting people. In other words, what we begin to discover when you start getting closer to the gospel of Luke 
when you start getting closer to who Jesus is, is that if you want to have meaningful, purposeful life, that you find it in the very ordinary terrain in which we walk, the ordinary families with whom we reside, the ordinary jobs at which we work, And as long as you keep looking for Jesus, as long as you keep looking for meaningful, purposeful life in the extraordinary and the exotic, then you will miss him. You will miss this kind of life again and again and again. Because for those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, it is right there in the middle of their lives, in the middle of your lives life. And this is one of the things it seems to me that we've begun to kind of learn about who Jesus is as we've continued to focus on the gospel of Luke. And one of the fascinating things it seems to me, one of the things I love to do if you're paying attention is to watch how the spirit works. A few weeks ago, actually probably almost two months ago now, I was having a, a lunch uh, with a newer ZPCer, and he was uh, uh, telling me about a book that he'd been reading, a couple of books. And, and one of those books was called Seeking God by Trevor Hudson. Now, I had just heard about Trevor Hudson just probably a few weeks before from a, another friend of mine. And so he told me about this book, and I said, I'm always happy to get these recommendations. And so I picked it up, and just earlier this week, I began to read this particular book book. And amazingly enough, he started talking about Zoe life. And he used it in contrast, uh, Dale Bruner said uh, it's in contrast to just existence. He used it in contrast to to bios kind of life. And and here is what uh, Trevor Hudson goes on to say. He says this, how does this Zoe life take shape amid our everyday tasks? Do you see the theme of washing dishes, playing with the kids, going to work, dealing with family conflicts, paying our bills, staying healthy, building friendships, coping with illness and grieving the loss of loved ones, as well as responding to the immense social struggles taking place on our streets for a more compassionate world. This critical question invites us to reimagine what God's good news looks like in the nitty gritty of our ordinary daily lives. The best place to begin this work of reimagination is the earthly life of Jesus himself. After all, Jesus himself, this is a great line, is the kingdom of God on two legs. If we dig into Jesus' own words and deeds, we get a clear vision of what God's good news looks like in a human life. He is the fully alive one who shows us what it means to embody God's life in a full flesh and blood way. I love just watching the spirit work. Clearly, just this thought as we begin to look around at at the community around us, as we begin to look deeper into our own hearts, as we begin to say, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And what does it mean? And I'm here to tell you, people are asking this question. What does it mean to actually have life that is rich and deep and meaningful? And here we begin to see the place where you look to find that is in the kingdom of God that has two legs. Jesus himself. 
And so as we kind of get back into the gospel of Luke, I actually almost, you know, I had to go back. I read all the sermons that I did this fall. That was really exciting. If you want to do that sometime, I'll shoot you an email with all of them attached. And I, you know, I just, you know, because I wanted to try to remember because we've been, you know, detached from Luke for a little while. As I kept reading uh, Trevor Hudson this week, uh, one of the things that he continued to talk about was this Zoe life, this meaningful, purposeful life, the life that really is life. We've used that from scripture before, or, or life abundantly. He began to say there's a few characteristics that are a part of this kind of life. And, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but there were a few of them that seemed to me to really pertain to this particular story that we're looking at today. First, he says, not surprisingly, if you want to live this kind of rich, meaningful, purposeful life, you need to have an intimate relationship with God. An intimate relationship with God. This is one of the things that Jesus shows us. We know this. This is probably, you are so tired of hearing this by now, but it's okay because we're just going to keep repeating it. Why? It's the same reason people get tired sometimes. Why are you always talking about money? I'll tell you why. Because, because Jesus is always talking about money. As soon as Jesus stops talking about money, I would stop talking about money. Well, Jesus here, when you look at the story of Jesus, what have we said? We said this, I believe, the very first Sunday that we talked about it, which is that Jesus is always getting away. Jesus is always quiet. Actually, it was the third Sunday, I think. Jesus is always getting away to be with his Father. Jesus himself, at least nine times we see it in the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus gets away. Why? In order to be in relationship with God. That Jesus himself says, I'm going to find my Father amidst all of the noise and the distractions that are in my life. And I love this. And I love this particular story today because it, it says that in the NRSV, puts it like this. I love this. Jesus would slip away to deserted places and pray. I love that just kind of that sense of just slipping away. It's like he's walking with his disciples and he's like, oh man, the Velcro came off the sandal again. You guys go ahead. I'll catch up. And then he kind of reaches down. He acts like he's doing something and then he slips away. He's always finding opportunities. He's always creating space to, to get away and to simply be with God. This is why we had for three months that challenge that I gave to you to try to create space for at least 10 minutes a day just simply to be with God in order to cultivate uh, this intimacy. You cannot cultivate, cultivate intimacy if you are just always doing it in the midst of noise and distraction. Uh, as a pastor, I've seen this. Likely you've seen this as well as you've looked out or seen in your own life, but there are certain periods in a marriage that are most troublesome or most concerning or most volatile to their being struggles. And, and one of those, it seems to me, is, is right after uh, the children uh, leave to go to school. Once you've become an empty nester. I've seen this quite a few times. Sometimes, unfortunately, it results in, in divorce. And there's probably several reasons for this. But I find it fascinating uh, because the reality, of course, is that what has happened more often than not is that the, the, the kids leave and then the parents look at each other and they think, gosh, I don't even hardly know who you are anymore. Now, what's really weird about this is it's not like they haven't been together or been living 
together. In fact, I would suggest oftentimes, not always, they're actually, the husband and wife are together quite a bit. You know, they're having to figure out the schedules. Uh, they're going to games and concerts together. Uh, you know, they're eating meals together. They're, they're literally around each other all of the time. And they're talking to each other and, and they're mostly listening to each other. But because of the fact that they have never uh, uh, taken the space, and that's the problem, it takes a great intentionality because it, you know, when you're, when you're, uh, when, when you're new, newly married and, and still happy uh, before children, you, um, <laughs> I'm kidding, Adelie, I love you. Before this, you, know, you don't have to create that space, it's just there, right? And, and, so, and so you're actually there, right? You're, you're with them, right? I mean, it, but it's this, all this hustle and bustle, you know? I mean, I was just thinking about this just two weeks ago or so. I have one kid who's playing the accordion, and, and so she's, uh, she's practicing the accordion in the front room, in the back room. I have three kids who are doing Irish dancing lessons, and so they're, they're dancing, dancing, dancing. The music is going on. The, dar, the dog is just barking endlessly, you know? Megan and I are there together, but there is no intimacy of any sort happening. And the problem is that you simply cannot, in the midst of noise and distractions, you cannot cultivate intimacy between others, nor can you with God. I, I want to let you know this is especially dangerous for those who serve on church staffs or for those who volunteer all the time. You see, because the thing is, you may be preaching or teaching about God. You may be teaching children. You may be doing all this great volunteer work. You're doing all these things for God. But I have seen it, that people do this again and again, and they reach a point. Usually it takes several years or so, uh, maybe 18. Uh, who knows? But they reach some point where all of a sudden they think, well, gee whiz, I feel so dry in my relationship with God. I don't, I don't understand. I'm, I mean, I'm around God all the time. I talk about God. I'm doing all these things for God. But I don't, I don't feel any kind of energy. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with God? What's wrong with the church? What's, what's happening? The reality is more often than not, it seems to me, it's because we simply, you have not created that space. And I'll say this once again, if Jesus himself had to create space to be with his father alone, why would we ever think that we could do this journey without doing so? So we begin to remember that this meaningful life, it must include this intimacy, this time with God. The second thing that Hudson says that I think pertains to this particular passage is he says it's also very critical that you are with, if you want to have this rich, meaningful, purposeful life, that you need to be in Christian community with God. Others. Now, again, we've seen this throughout Luke again and again, this importance of community. We saw it when Mary, remember, after she was pregnant and, and uh, the angel had told her if she went to go see that Elizabeth, or she said, hey, Elizabeth's also pregnant. So she runs over there to Elizabeth, right? And you remember that scene and all of a sudden the baby inside of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, leaps for joy. The baby inside of Jesus is there. All of a sudden there's four of them there and they've been had this great confirmation that God is actually alive in their lives. We saw it again. Uh, a couple weeks or a week or two after that when we talked about Simeon and Anna as they were in the temple, there's great confirmation, you know, that, hey, God is alive in your 
life. And we see it, of course, here in this story as well. It's probably one of my favorite examples when it comes to the importance of community. You see it, you've got these friends of this, uh, of this man who is paralyzed, right? And, and they want to take him in order to go see Jesus. They want him to get close to Jesus. Now, it's not all spelled out here, but if you've ever been a, in a group of folks, especially a group of guys, you know that this is always a nightmare to try to do these things together, right? Because whenever you have a few folks getting together, what, you know, every guy is always the smartest guy, right? They always think, oh, I know how to do this. So if you're trying to do a particular project, they all know this. I've seen it when it comes to uh, helping people move. They got this truck and, and every guy there is the best packer in the world. And so you literally just take about 90% of your time with someone coming up, putting something there, then another guy coming up and like, well, that guy's an idiot and putting something in place. And they say, oh no, this is actually how you're supposed to do it. So you can just get a sense, you know? And I mean, we like to think, oh, what a beautiful story. It is a beautiful story, but you know that it took a while to get them to that place, right? Because they said, oh no, I know a shortcut. Oh yeah, I know how to get there. Oh, there's never a red light on this uh, street. Oh, the camels are always congregating over there. Let's go the other way, whatever it might be. So they finally get there and you know if it was Presbyterian group, they would have had to stop to form a committee first. And then once they kind of figured that out, then they would have gotten there. So it would have taken a while, but they get there and then they have so many opportunities, of course, to just say, hey, you know what? I don't actually want to do this just yet. Or, or how are we going to do this? There's too many people. Should we stop? Or those stairs seem high? Or what's going to happen once we get on that roof? Or what I would suggest even more so, just that actual act of saying, we've done all this and now we're going to lower him. And what happens if Jesus can't do anything? How awkward is this going to be? So they do all of this work and then they get them there. And then I love this part, right? That every good preacher usually points out when it comes to this, which is that Jesus, he looks at their faith, not just the faith of the man who was paralyzed, it says, but he looks at their faith, the faith of all of them. And then because of that, Jesus then forgives him. You see, if we want to have rich, meaningful, purposeful life, the reality is it takes a whole community. It takes being a part of others in this kind of community. And I want you to know that this is something that many of us struggle with, but it is certainly something that younger generations struggle with as well. A few months ago, I was with some friends, uh, some ZPCers, and um, and, and uh, one, uh, one woman was talking about this Instagram post that she had seen from somebody that she knows, a friend or an acquaintance. And, and he had apparently been kind of crying out, just saying, look, we need, you know, I wish things were different. Our parents and our grandparents, they seem to have this sense of community, but we, we don't really have this, uh, this sense. And I think other people must've been asking, well, what do you mean? What does that look like? And so he, he decided to kind of give a list of what this looked like. And so here's what he, he said. He said, first of all, he says this, and by the way, all the eyes, of course, are not capitalized because it's way too much work these days to hit shift. Uh, so thanks, Steve Jobs. Here we go. I want to be asked to come over and help put my friend's kids to bed as casually as they might text their spouse and ask them to pick up milk on the way home. I want to buy fruit that I don't like because it's on special. And I know people who do like it. I want group chats instead of rideshare apps, calls in the middle of the night because someone's at the hospital, lonely or hungry or both. I want to do the dishes in other people's houses, extra serving wrapped in tin foil and tea towels so it's still warm when you drop it off. A basket of other people's mending by my couch. I want to be surrounded by reminders that imposing on each other is what we were born 
to do. Now, again, this is someone coming from the younger generation, and I think it's important for us to see this, to actually be able to hear this kind of crying out, this desire. And one of the things I loved about this conversation is that as she kind of was kind of telling us about this, she thought, you know what? This is what we have. And I was reminded of that earlier this week. We received, I received an, an email from a ZPCer, and he said, you know what? I just want, to th- want you to know what, what people in your congregation are doing. He said, over the last year or so, uh, I've had uh, my deacon uh, come over with uh, his Bible study group and they've helped to repair things in our house. Uh, When my spouse was having uh, some surgery, you know, um, um, they were bringing over uh, cards of, of, you know, hope, you know, hope she gets well soon and restaurant gift cards. The meal train was, uh, was, uh, was going choo-choo and they were getting lots and lots of food. Uh, 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 some of the youth came over to help uh, rake leaves uh, uh, because they were kind of unable, it was a struggle to do so. And when I, I heard that, you know, I mean, always as a pastor, this just kind of brings a joy to your heart. But I realized that, yes, this is the reality. This is how we are supposed to be. Now, does ZPC always get this right? Yes, every time. No. But what I want you to know is that especially, you know, also for our older generations, but as we begin to think about what does this handoff look like, as we begin to think about this tapestry and going on into the next generation, that this is one of the remarkable gifts that we can show. This reality of this witness of what it means to be a part of something larger than oneself. This is a gift that we have. Why? Because Jesus has called us into community, a community that worships and a community that cares for one another. The third and final thing I want to bring up about this meaningful, purposeful life that Hudson says is he says it's also, it always includes transformation. It always includes some kind of transformation. And it's continual. And usually it's in more than just one area of your life. We see this, of course, with both of these stories today. You see it it with the the man who is paralyzed. His sins are forgiven. He's spiritually healed. His physical body is healed. You know that his his relationships are also changed, right? All of a sudden now, we're told he, he runs back into his house. Just imagine what that would have been like. Likely his economic life is changed. Why? Because now he can actually do things for work, right? There was no real work from home back then and we have, we do it, right? I mean, he needed to be able to move, to go about and to do the work. But we also, of course, see it with the man who has leprosy. We see this exact same transformation. We see this transformation of his self physically. We see that now, of course, he could go back into the temple. Now we can go back into the community because he would have been ostracized before that. Now we can do more than just beg for food. Now we can actually work. This is the transformation that occurs. Now let's be clear. Again, when it comes to miracles, it's the sign of, of God's coming kingdom. Now Jesus has this remarkable power to fast forward that. For most of us, it's steady, stable, plodding, but there is transformation that occurs. And I think that's really important for us to continue to wrestle with, but not just this fact of transformation. I think this particular story, it's also important for us to see how it often happens, which is not from a distance. You'll notice here that Jesus didn't say, I am willing, be clean, 
And he could have done that. Jesus does other healings from a distance, if you will. But Jesus, this time, he actually touches the man. And you can only imagine what that would have been like for this particular man to have been touched. As I read about this, I was reminded of, um, of Philip Yancey. He talks about Dr. Paul Brand in a couple of his books. He was a famous doctor de dealing with uh, those who had leprosy. You might have heard of him. He worked primarily in India and then also in the United States. And Yancey tells a story about how uh, one time he was in India working with a patient who had leprosy and he was just kind of the first time he had seen him. So he's telling him about the whole treatment plan. And as he's telling him about the treatment plan, he just kind of, you know, he just kind of touches his shoulder to kind of, you know, just talk about the plan. And all of a sudden he said, the man began to sob. Dr. Paul Brand, of course, thought that, you know, had he done something wrong? So we asked the translator, did I do something? What happened here? And the, the translator talked to the patient and then came back and said, no, you didn't do anything wrong. It is simply that this man hasn't been touched for years. And there is something about the closeness of being touched that can radically begin to transform both the recipient and the one who was doing the touching, the one who was there who is close. I think this is really important for us when it comes to discovering transformation. The vast majority of transformation when it comes to our lives will happen not from a distance, but will happen up close to Jesus and to one another. We see this, of course, when it comes to our relationship with God. We see this, of course, as part of the reason why we do these home groups, because we want people to know each other, because so often we learn more about Jesus through one another than just on our own. We see it in the food pantry. I love this. One of the things I love, and I realize that this isn't uh, for those who volunteer from the food pantry, but uh, they may not like this, but I love it when the weather is inclement, wet or cold. And the part of the reason why I love that then is because those who are coming through, they know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are there for them, that they are willing to kind of have the rain and the cold. Why? Because they are important enough for that. Why? Because they are loved children of God. Why? Because they are, they are worthy to be served and loved and cared for, no matter what the weather may be. This is not San Diego. And to be able to be out there with them in the midst of that is this incredible way to show them the love of God. And it's also why we are so bent and so focused and are so enduring when it comes to the reality that we want to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the northwest side of Indianapolis. I introduced Krista earlier. I, I just think, you know, we have been waiting for this. And again, we have been engaged already in, in some ways with, uh, with, with Straight Up, in many ways with Straight Up, but also, of course, with, um, uh, with Progressive Life Ministry there, the church that's down there in Michigan and around 70th or so, and, and kind of the event that we did with them. And we're continuing to kind of uh, do this and to engage. And this is why, a part of this, you know, we've been looking, there have been times we say, well, maybe we should just stop trying to find somebody because maybe, you know, maybe God's not in this. And, and perhaps, you know, there are times when maybe, you know, you keep knocking on a door, but there are also times when you say, no, we're going to keep doing this. Why? Because we think that this is important. I think when it comes to our neighbors on the northwest side of Indianapolis, while certainly we could just write a check for them and generosity is wonderful, that if we want to help bring and be transformed, that it needs to happen from a close proximity. 
And this is unfair to put on Krista. But I'm going to do it and then I'll apologize to you later. I think Krista is like the friends. And quite frankly, we are the paralyzed in this story. And what, one of the things that Krista is going to do is she is going to help bring us down to be able to see where Jesus is alive and at work. And it's all over. And we get to go and be a part of that. And in that process, will we hopefully be able to bring change and hope and love? Absolutely. But we will also, I assure you, if we are doing this well, and if we are doing this in honesty and humility, we will be the one who get closer to Jesus and begin to be transformed because of what we are beginning to learn. Krista is here not to do work for us. Let me be abundantly clear. She is here to help us, to bring us closer to Jesus. And that happens not from a distance, but it happens when you are willing to be close enough to touch those whom you are loving and whom you are caring for. This season, as we continue to move out of COVID, this is the season for us to continue to wrestle with what does it mean for us here at ZPC to be able to be a people who are living the kind of meaningful, rich, purposeful life that will be a witness to those around us, both in Zionsville and Carmel, to those in Northwest Indianapolis, and to those across the globe. This is our call. And the way for us to get that is not for us to isolate ourselves from one another or from the community around us. The way for us to do this is to be with God and grow in intimacy. The way for us to do this is to be in community with one another, to learn more about God, one another, and it is to be on mission together. And as we do so, we will be transformed. This is the way that Jesus has worked the kingdom of God on two legs for the last 2,000 years. And it is the way he continues to work in 2023. And so may we join up with who God is. And may we be transformed for God's glory and for God's glory alone. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. God, we need you. We cannot do this alone. And so I pray, God, that you would be with us in this time as we seek to follow you and you alone. May we continue to discover in deeper ways this Zoe life. And in so doing, might we be a light to others to follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.